Hello, Mississippi and abroad, and welcome to another edition of Justify Your Existence, the podcast where we talk Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and the SEC. I am Parrish Alford with the Daily Journal, and I'm joined by Michael Katz, our Ole Miss writer at the Journal, and Theo DeRosa, who covers Mississippi State for the Columbus Commercial Dispatch. How are you guys doing? I'm excited. It's, it's time for my one regular season flight of the season, and I'm I'm dumb and, and picked the 7 a.m. out of Memphis to Houston. So it, it it's going to be an interesting. Uh, it's going to be an interesting tomorrow for me. The notorious not morning person that I am. As far as me, I mean, I'm glad to take the weekend off. Mississippi State having a bye. I'm heading out later today for uh, back to my alma mater. So I'll be looking forward to having a couple of days off before we get back at it next week. That sounds good. I know you got to take those uh, open dates, uh, take that time when you can, especially during the season. Uh, Michael, you mentioned a fly trip uh, uh, to College Station. That's a hard place to get to. I hear you, you're going to Houston there. And, and uh, boy, um, there's just there's no easy way to do that for a night games because if, if you're staying by your your uh, airport, then you've got that uh, hour and a half, couple of hours, maybe a drive back uh, to the Houston area. I, I, I've done that. Those night games are tough. Uh, you'll probably get some overtime, you know, in your game, not not in your salary, I would say. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, hey, let's talk uh, uh, about uh, Ole Miss and this Texas A&M game, Michael. Uh, the Rebels coming off a loss for the first time, uh, I guess their least productive rushing game of the season with uh, with Zach Evans not available. And I know that uh, Lane Kiffin likes to guard uh, that injury information like it's the nuclear launch codes, but what's your best guess on Zach this week? Do you think he plays uh, at A&M? It's hard to know just because the buy is coming up and there's a part of, you know, in terms of the thinking could be, well, let's give him the week and then we'll give him the buy and then we'll see, you know, how he looks after Bama. I mean, he, or for Bama, uh, he was warming up uh, against LSU. He was doing all the the drills and stuff. Um, Now, obviously he didn't play and it's, it it sounds like he didn't practice during uh, that week. So it's, it's really hard to know, but I I think in a, you know, this sounds like really obvious, but I I think they really kind of need him to play just given that they're running Jackson Dart less uh, by design, according to Lane Kiffin, just to keep him, you know, uninjured. And, you know, as good as Quinshawn Judkins is, uh, he's he's one person. And the drop-off from when you don't have him, we don't have Evans to kind of balance out carries, it, I, I think it kind of wears on you. Oh, I, I think that was evident uh, against LSU. Seems to me like a Texas kid, uh, as Zach Evans is, uh, if he can get ready, that he really would want to play and, and show out in a game uh, at Texas A&M. Another Texas kid, man, uh, might we see a, a, a resurgence, uh, an appearance from Ulysses Bentley uh, in this game because this Ole Miss running game started off at the beginning of the season that, uh, hey, it was going to be these three backs uh, spelling each other in great depth at the position. But we really haven't seen much from Bentley I know that there's been an injury involved, but uh, I think it, it, it there's probably more to it than that. Uh, do you think maybe maybe he shows up in this game a little bit, another Texas kid? So it sounds like he is still 
um, a, a little bit injured. I think Lane kind of said that he's not quite there yet. And it, it sounds like if anything was sort of necessity that he was playing. I don't, he didn't play a ton, but I think if anything, it was just to sort of spell Judkins a little bit so he could catch his breath. Um, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's interesting because we talk so much about the running back depth and now we are seeing, well, let's see how deep it really is. Um, if, 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 if Bentley's healthy, that's huge. Um, if Evans is healthy, it's huge because like you said, they ran for 117 yards. I think it was, they came in averaging 270, which was the most among non-service academies. I think they're still third, but it's down to about 250 yards a game. Um, but yeah, no, it's, um, they, if they're going to, if they're going to want to do what they need to do, uh, in college station, they're, they're going to need that full complement of backs. Well, that, you know, football, baseball, I just love how, how you can spin things and, and the media relations department, they, they, they come up with just the right angle on, on these stats here, but I don't know that I've ever heard the most among non-service academies. That's, uh, that's well, I mean, the triple option tends to skew some rushing numbers. <laughs> That's right. Hey, good, good stuff there. Theo, uh, Mississippi State coming off a 30 to 6 loss at Alabama, uh, carrying that into the open date. And and you don't often look at a 30 to 6 loss and say, hey, that was progress. But I really think all things considered that there was progress in that game for Mississippi State, uh, given how they have performed in other SEC road games, how they have performed. Uh, in two other games against Alabama under Mike Leach, and then to watch them in Tuscaloosa after a very, uh, you know, an emotional week that included the death of a teammate, uh, they they come out and and they sustained drives. They didn't score to the last play of the game, but they they ran drives, they ran clock, they executed a lot of plays. Obviously, not the biggest ones in those drives. Uh, they played very well defensively after uh, an early start, you know, the second and third quarters. They, they held that game in place. If they had scored a little bit, it would have looked a, a lot different. Uh, did, did you see uh, progress in this 30-6 to six loss? I definitely saw progress on defense. Mississippi State held Alabama to about 1.1 yards per rush, which is fantastic for a team that's, you know, one of the best rushing offenses in the country. I don't know if I saw that progress on offense. like. Yeah, they could put drives together, but when you made so many mistakes, you know, fourth downs that aren't converted, penalties, drops, it's hard to say that there really is progress. Of course, the quality of opponent is so high, and Alabama made some some really good plays on a lot of those third, fourth downs. But offensively, I just I didn't really see that much progress from a team that scored nine points at Alabama last year against Alabama last year to scoring six on the last, literally last play of the game as time expired. So. Yeah, I would I, like to have seen more progress there. I guess technically, uh, it, yeah, when you look at that final number, yes. Um, but I look at this in terms of the gap. I mean, there, there was a huge gap from these teams, uh, between these teams last year uh, in Starkville and the year before in a 41 to nothing loss uh, in Tuscaloosa. Uh, the big question here to me is why do you think this team is so different? at home and on the road. I mean, a lot of people, we see everybody plays better at home. You know, and, and you take the Arizona game out of the equation here. Let's look just uh, at the conference games. Just that amazing energy and execution and production 
against Texas A&M and then Arkansas uh, on back-to-back weeks there at Davis-Wade Stadium. And then we see the LSU game earlier where there was a lot of self-inflicted damage with dropped passes and, and some other mistakes. Uh, the Kentucky game where Chris Rodriguez really, really just ran on Mississippi State. There just looks like a, a bigger gap. And even in that Kentucky game, when we talk about offense and and executing, I think there was 10 points. There was a defensive touchdown in there. So uh, why the big difference that we're seeing uh, in this team uh, from home to road within the conference? I mean, for one thing, I think you have to look at the quality of opponents. Like if you look at their five SEC foes so far, Texas A&M and Arkansas are probably the weakest ones. Might have said LSU up until this past week. But I mean, I think that has something to do with it. But Mississippi State is definitely making that gap huge when it comes to how they play at home versus how they play on the road. I think there is something to be said for, you know, the Cowboys and the environment and Davis Wade, maybe intimidating or at least intimidating opponents or making at least more difficult for opponents to win those games. But you're right. They do seem to come out flat on the road like LSU, Kentucky, Alabama. They all featured all these mistakes that you weren't really seeing at home. I don't know if that's a factor of them just getting in their heads now on the road, if it's like the crowd getting to them. But I didn't think the atmosphere was that great at LSU or Kentucky or really even Alabama. So it is something worrisome, especially with the Egg Bowl coming up in Oxford next month. Yeah, and this was not evident last year. I thought State played some very good football on the road last year at Texas A&M, at uh, Auburn you know, come overcoming a slow start at Auburn, even at Arkansas. And, and again, a little bit of a slow start there, but they finished, they had the yards and points, you know, they uh, ultimately, they had a, you know, had a productive day at Arkansas last year. So this team with these players, many of them uh, has been successful uh, on the road in the conference before. So I, I thought, uh, I just think it's, it's been a really big gap, uh, uh, kind of odd again, when we talk about uh, the experience and, and the guys returning uh, on this team. Michael, you talked a little bit about uh, Lane Kiffin intentionally running his quarterback less uh, in in games to come, taking a little bit of that away uh, from Jackson Dart. Do you think that's um, due in part to what he saw with Matt Corral last year, uh, how effective Corral was as a runner and, and how much he took off, but ultimately uh, playing hurt there at the end of the season. Does that come into what uh, what Lane's doing here? I have to think so, but there's also a part of me that thinks that now that he said that, like he, Jackson's going to run like 40 times against Texas A&M uh, just because say one thing, do the other, and just kind of throw them off. Uh, so there's always, there's always that possibility, but uh, yeah, you know, Jackson is not a guy who likes to run out of bounds or slide. Uh, he, he likes to put his shoulder down. Uh, he tries to get as many yards as he can. I think his teammates love that about him. Uh, but I also think that, uh, Lane Kiffin is smart enough to know that that can lead to some really bad things. And he saw that happen last year. And so, uh, yeah, it's interesting because that running game is so much better when you know that Jackson is going to, you know, there's going to be designed runs for him, or he's going to have, you know, the option to take off. Um, he really is such a, a good runner. And so it, it's 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 going to be fascinating to see, you know, say they really are committed to not running him, how defenses change 
to stop that offense in that running game and how the offense adapts, because if he's not going to be a threat, I think it probably changes the sort of, I think it changes things a lot for, for what they want to do. And um, I don't know if it's going to be as effective. So it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that all kind of works. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, uh, I'm thinking what you are here in, in terms of a little football subterfuge uh, going on. Uh, I don't know that you can make that commitment with your quarterback at this time, at the same time that you've got uh, other running backs hurt, uh, that that depth that looks so promising at the beginning of the season suddenly isn't there, and you're you're putting so much more on a true freshman. Even though he has produced at a high level, uh, Quinshawn Judkins is still, uh, you know, a, a guy who was playing high school ball last year. Uh, so yeah, probably a little uh, little subterfuge going on there. The other thing is, look, this offense is just better when your quarterback is running, and and uh, Jackson Dart survived that quarterback competition with Luke Altmaier, doing large part, I believe, to what, what he brings to the game as a runner. Uh, a running offense that Ole Miss wants to be is is going to be better when the quarterback is a threat. Uh, it just is, and and I suspect that. Uh, Lane Kiffin's going to do what uh, he needs to do to win games, and if that means putting his quarterback in harm's way uh, a little more than he's comfortable with, then he'll just roll the dice and and uh, and see what he can do. And there's basically a, a body of work that suggests that with uh, Matt Corral last year. You know, everybody knew it was dangerous when Corral ran as much as he did, and he wasn't a put put. Uh, you know, he was a put the shoulder down guy too. So uh, you know. We'll see how that evolves. What I do think, Michael, is that it's going to be hard for Ole Miss to win big games when they're completing 50% of their pass attempts. And uh, as good as we've seen Dart look at times throwing the ball downfield, they're still, uh, you know, still not completing uh, at a much higher rate than that. A lot of that, uh, we've seen some drop passes too. That's, you know, that plays into it. He doesn't have a nice target of Michael Trigg anymore. Uh, what do you think is going on in the passing game? And do you think uh, we'll see it get better as the season goes along? Yeah, I mean, I, I it's hard to say because, I mean, what, we're almost we're almost nine games through. And so I, I don't know how much better, you know, it's it's going to get if it's, you know, if he's going to go from completing, I think he's at around 60 or so right now for the season. I don't think that just jumps to 75 percent by the end of the year in terms of what he's going to do in the next few games. But uh, I do think the bye week is going to be good for them um, just to rest up and and maybe, you know, work on some stuff. Uh, they've talked a lot about execution, and I know that's that's a lot of coach and player speak, but uh, it's just those little, you know, there's little moments, um, you know, uh, we a big moment in that game was, you know, Jackson getting intercepted in the end zone. Um, that one's not all on him. He got hit as he threw it, and it kind of, it changed that pass a lot. Um, you know, maybe a, a pass interference gets called or maybe he makes a play on the ball if, if he's not hit. But and there was another one, I think it was afterward, where um, on, on that, on a, or it, it, at another point during the game, he had a wide open Jonathan Mingo and he just sort of, he, he, he just missed him um, and, and he threw it behind him. And it's just those sorts of things that, um, you know, when you're playing a game like that and things are kind of hanging in the balance, you need, you need to hit uh, especially on the road and in a game where it started out so well and then the momentum completely swung and they were just kind of holding on you need your guys to make those sorts of plays and 
Um, I, I, I do think that we have seen Jackson get a lot better. Um, but I do think also that the level of competition is a lot better than it was too. And so I think that's playing into it. Um, I think one of the big things is that Mingo and Heath and Watkins have really stepped up as like the kind of big three in terms of, you know, it was a question of, you know, who, who is going to get all these targets? I think they've kind of figured that out and it kind of depends on a game to game basis, how it's going to get divvied out. Uh, but I think they figured that out. And now that they figured that out, I do think it'll probably get a little bit more consistent, but um, I, I think to an extent it, it, it kind of is what it is. Um, and it's not a bad thing. I, I think there's times when it looks really good, but man, in, in those big moments, they, they really need to hit on some of those big plays. Hey, Theo, what do you think has been the most discussed, uh, the most focused issue uh, for Mississippi State during this open date? I would have to say drops. I don't know if you caught Mike Leach's rant about dinosaurs from Saturday's post game, uh, Michael, but I think you've probably seen it by now. Parrish, I know you, I think you were there for that, but even if not, Mississippi State's uh, had a lot of issues catching the football. And Mike Leach talked about, you know, dinosaur. I got it. It's so hard to follow, but basically, evolution, dinosaurs, and the fact that if Mississippi State's receivers don't use their hands, they might fall off. So great stuff. But uh, basically, insinuating, you know, we got to clean this up over the bye week, and this can't really be an issue anymore because. They did have a couple plays where they just couldn't catch the ball. Now, some of that was because of good plays by Alabama secondary, but some of it was just like you got to be able to hang on to those big plays. Yeah, I thought Alabama did a good job. And, again, this is where coaching uh, comes in and and State's inability to sustain some of those drives. I thought uh, they did a good job of arriving, of of arriving at the play at the time the ball was going to get there. So – you know, good defensive backs, physical plays, and timing. And the timing element of that comes from preparation. And the preparation comes from coaching. And and so we, we've seen that uh, from Nick Saban teams before. I, I thought that was a part of it. But then, look, the drops were there, too. The the uh, uh, the uh, uh, Dietrich, what's his name? What's what's the nickname there? Everybody goes by nickname. Tulu, Tulu Griffin, uh, that that touchdown, man, just, just right there, right there. They would have been on the board much earlier. And you take one play like that, one touchdown, and then there's a kickoff, and you just never know how that changes a sequence in a game and how the game plays differently if you make that play. Yeah, if you if you have a kickoff, is there a fumble? Is there a big play? You know, there are so many different things. There's field position, uh, an issue there, and, and play calling is different. So, you know, so much can change if you make a play, if you make a big play, uh, the way Michael was talking about. So uh, speaking of, of big plays uh, and Tennessee's big win over uh, Alabama, and, and we've all seen that, uh, saw the celebration, saw the balls put up those points uh, and, and win a shootout. Um, do you think Kentucky makes big plays? I mean, is Tennessee kind of like, uh, you know, is this a Tennessee-Georgia thing? I look at the SEC schedule uh, this week, and I see Kentucky going to Knoxville. I, I'm wondering, uh, both of you guys have uh, have seen the Wildcats. Uh, how do they fare here? What are your impressions with Kentucky? I don't know. I was thinking maybe if it were in Lexington, they might stand a chance. But Tennessee's just been so good this year, especially offensively. Kentucky obviously has a decent defense, but I just don't think they can really score enough and keep them kind of in check defensively. So. 
I kind of see Tennessee going undefeated into that Georgia game. Yeah, I I don't think Kentucky's really built to to play in a track meet or win a track meet like that's going to be. Uh, again, I think they're really good, but they they have a certain style, and I don't think it lends itself to uh, the sort of points that I imagine Tennessee is going to be able to put up, regardless of how good Kentucky's defense is. Yeah, and you know Alabama had a pretty good defense, and uh, and the ball still hit fifty there. Um, Kentucky, for all the talk about Will Levis and and you know, I think he is a good quarterback, uh, and he's certainly important to that team. It's just not—it's uh, not a very explosive offense. You know, it's—it's it's not. Now, it's good when they can do what they want to do, and, and Chris Rodriguez certainly adds a lot to it. Uh, a big physical back. Uh, I thought Michael that when he got off on that first half uh, against Ole Miss, that he was fixing to have a a big day, uh, but they defended better. Uh, against him in the second half there in Oxford, and they tackled better uh, in that game. And it's like the Ole Miss has no problem. They pursue well, okay? They pursue well. And when they can get to the ball with a group, man, then then they're going to be successful. I I just see them struggling with tackling when when the game gets to the perimeter and there's a, you know, a quick quick pass one way or the other, and somebody's got to make, you know, a a solo play or or hold things up until the gang all gets there. Uh, seems to be a lot of that, in addition to some other things going on. But uh, uh, speaking of, of the Rebels, Michael, I, I look at them going to uh, College Station, and I see this uh, wobbly Ole Miss defense against a wobbly Texas A&M offense. And it, it seems like the opportunity uh, for the Rebels to to get well uh, in that game, and at least if they can, if they can – if they can play a little better defensively, uh, come out of there with a win, then all of a sudden they've got two weeks to get ready for Alabama and and still just one loss. And, and I think uh, an incredible atmosphere in Oxford if they can get to that game with one loss. How do you think Ole Miss plays defensively? I think <clears throat> this is, a uh, all things considered, a pretty good matchup. For their defense, um, not just because a and averaging like 21 points a game or whatever it is, um, but I think the style of play. I mean, if you've looked at what has killed Ole Miss, it's been running games that involve mobile quarterbacks. Uh, it's been Jaden Daniels-led teams. It's been Robbie Ashford. It was, uh, you know, when Tulsa's backup quarterback came in and he was more of a running threat, everything just sort of opened up in the running games. Um, even if it's not the quarterback himself, running a ton just those sorts of running games have really kind of hurt them you know Haynes King can can move around but you know he's not a guy that's necessarily gonna uh I don't think he's a huge threat I think he's got like 95 yards rushing this year um you know and and I think he's been dealing with some injuries so I I think it's going to be the type of of offense that almost probably a little bit more better prepared to sort of defend there's also the the fact that you know AM is just dealing with a lot of injuries, a lot of suspensions. There's just so much going on with that program right now. Um, not to mention that you know people are calling it a fine bomb and, and talking about Jimbo. Uh, and a lot of there's a lot of wild conversations going on about there about the buyout and, and, and how they can get out of it and uh, all this sort of stuff. It's just it's a really interesting program right now, and I know they're talented. Uh, but it's, you know, how, how, how deep are they right now? And so college station is a really hard place to, to play. And that place is going to be rocking. It doesn't matter 
you know, if they're three and four or seven and zero or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but I do think that if we're looking at, at you know, almost kind of looking at its wounds a little bit defensively, I think it's a good matchup. Now they got some really talented players that running back is really good. Uh, Evan Stewart's a really nice, you know, he was one of those highly touted receivers, uh, uh, highly touted freshman, five-star kids. Um, but, you know, quarterback has been an issue for them and, and they don't run the ball great overall. So I, I think it's, if Ole Miss, you know, does what it says it's it's going to do in terms of, you know, getting better uh, in the run game and, and fixing up the things that they said, you know, weren't working last week, I think it should be a good matchup. Yeah, and you could have that uh, uh, team with backs against the wall kind of thing going on too, and, and a coach who's co- perhaps coaching, uh, you know, uh, for his job, not not in, not in this job, not in this game, uh, particularly, you know, alone, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, uh, a million here, a million there, you know, I, I figure they can find it at uh, at Texas A and M if they want to make that move. Guys, let's hit a little basketball uh, before we get to the exit ramp uh, here. Uh, Chris Jans, Theo, talking about the personality of this team and and, uh, and how they're still a work in progress. But I, I think we can expect to see Mississippi State uh, in his first season look different right away. I know he's talking about a, a personality that will evolve over time and a team coming together. But uh, they're going to look different uh, early on just with tempo. Is that right? Yeah, I was at open practice yesterday, and you kind of saw, you know, more up-tempo, more high energy than – at least you saw on the court in games under Ben Howlands. Jans' calling card seemed to be toughness, defense, rebounding, kind of a different style than what Howland brought, which was, you know, kind of the old school, slow offense, spread you out. You know, rebounding was important, and they did that well. But it does seem to be a different identity. And with so many new players, it's not going to be an identity that is fully formed, like Jans kind of said early in the season. They open up in, you know, less than two weeks now against AM Corpus Christi. And then you have another few non-conference games, several neutral site games, road non-conference game at Minnesota. There are definitely opportunities for them to kind of build that resume early on. I don't think it's like the greatest non-conference schedule, and I'm sure you'll still see them kind of figuring things out early on. But, yeah, it does seem to be different under Jan so far. You know, I look at, uh, at Mississippi State right now, and – in some ways, they remind me a little of Kermit Davis's first team at Ole Miss in that, you know, he's getting, of course, he's getting the buy-in of players. And we hear that phrase a lot when you have a transition in the coaching staff and everything. But when you have a guy, the ability of, uh, of Tolu Smith, okay, and when he has his head on straight and is, is really focused and, and, and wants to uh, – to be a part uh, of this team and, and wants to be a leader and that sort of thing. And, and all indications are that's where Smith is right now. Uh, that's, that's a really good thing. I mean, we, we could see, I think, Chris Jans take an inherited player here and do some really good things in the way that Kermit Davis did with Terrence Davis uh, in his first season at Ole Miss. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, Smith has obviously shown the ability – to be that first team all league player, which is kind of what Jans mentioned is the ceiling he'll need to hit for Mississippi state to be a really good team this year. But the problem has always been, you know, injuries for Smith and staying on the court. He played 21 games last year out of 34 had uh, COVID. He had two different like foot injuries, just, it was a tough year for him. And he's admitted that. 
And just being able to play a full season, if he can do that, will just go such a long way in not only continuity, but just building the team that Mississippi State wants. So kind of will come down to that, whether some of the returners like Shaquille Moore and DJ Jeffries can kind of make a jump and how good the transfers are, because they've got few different guards with Deshaun Davis from Oregon State, Eric Reed from SEMO, and uh, Tyler Stevenson afford from, from Southern Miss. So you've got some of the pieces. I don't know if it's an NCAA tournament roster, but it's definitely, you know, a start for a team trying to put things together right now. Michael, tell us about Kermit Davis. Uh, do the Rebels get back to the NCAA tournament this season? And that's the hope, and that was the hope last year, too. And, and one thing that, you know, Kermit has been consistent with is that he has he's at least said that, you know, if that team hadn't gotten hurt, he felt it was an NCAA tournament team. I think he kind of feels the same way about this team. It all remains to be seen how it, it fits together. But I think having Deshaun Ruffin is a really huge start, given that he, you know, tore up his knee uh, last winter, and he's already – he's back. He's doing full contact stuff. He is going to be a key. I know we've talked a lot about the transfers and how they sort of rebuilt the roster and, and all that sort of stuff. But Ruffin and Matt Morrell, uh, two of the homegrown guys, are really, I think, going to be the key here. If Morrell can get the consistency, we've seen flashes with him. He has looked really good at times. Other times, uh, he is uh, he's not, not always the most efficient shooter and scorer. And uh, if he can sort of hone that, I think you're looking at a, a, a really good scoring guard in the SEC and Ruffin, I really do think can be one of the better point guards in the conference. So uh, if those two guys do what they can do and transfers, you know, contribute in the way that I think, they, I don't think, I don't know if any of the, the transfers brought in to be superstars. Um, I think they, they have to, you know, play their roles well, uh, but if Ruffin and Morrell do what they're supposed to do and what they can do, uh, you know, I think they're going to put themselves in position. Are they going to make it to the tournament? It's it's so hard to know. But uh, Ruffin and Morrell doing their thing is going, to, is going to go a long way. Folks, that'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence, where we talk Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and the SEC. For Michael Katz and Theo DeRosa, I am Parrish Alford. Thanks for being with us.